0: We're continuing in our study of Daniel. Um, Sorry I wasn't here last week, but I'm sure Pastor Kerr did a splendid job with chapter 6 and Daniel in the lion's den. Um, This week we'll turn to Daniel chapter 7. So you can go ahead and uh, open your Bible and uh, turn with me there. Um, Daniel 7 is a turning point in the book of Daniel um, as the text shifts from, from being presented in historical narrative of uh, regarding Daniel and his companions to a series of Daniel's apocalyptic visions um, that he experiences. Um, we move um, from the sovereignty of God working in the specific circumstances of his people and demonstrating power over particular kings to uh, the second half is going to be more focused on a... Uh, broader and greater understanding of God's kingdom being established over and against the kingdoms of the world. But while the type of text changes the message, um, the overall message remains the same. God himself is the sovereign and ultimate disposer of the destinies both of individuals and nations. And his hands are both the lives of individual people, like you saw last week with Daniel in the lion's den, and the destinies of all earthly dominions, as we'll see this week. Apocalyptic literature thus proclaims a theology of hope to those who are suffering in the world. It reminds us that God is presently on his throne and that he will ultimately triumph. In the meantime, whatever the present cost may be in terms of suffering, obedience to God is the only way forward for believers. So uh, let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll read Daniel chapter 7. Gracious Almighty God, you are the Sovereign One, and we uh, come and gather today coming from uh, the chaos of this world, and uh, in the presence of your throne, we find order, Uh, we find uh, justice and righteousness. We thank you for how you uh, revealed yourself to your servant Daniel and spoke to him and thus through him to us. Guide us this day as we look into uh, his vision. Show us the things we need to see. Most of all, show us that son of man, our savior Jesus Christ, to whom you've given all sovereignty and authority, that all the peoples and nations of this earth would come and worship him and him alone. Send us your Holy Spirit this morning to dwell richly among us as we talk and think of your word. Use it to guide us into all truth concerning our Savior Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, hear now the word of God from Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, four, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked to its wings, as I looked, its wings were plucked off before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued, And came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom." Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three great kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High And shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven. Shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Thus far, God's holy word, may he uh, open it in our hearts and our wills this day. All right, so anytime we're dealing with apocalyptic prophecy it's easy to, to get bogged down or lost in all the specific symbolic imagery. So I want to start um, with the big picture. So as we look at Daniel 7, and as we look at these series of visions that Daniel presents um, to us here, what is the overall message conveyed by this chapter? In my Bible, is it, sorry, I had to... I have no printer ink, as my wife reminded me earlier in the week. get printer ink, um, so you know, wake up Sunday morning, oh yeah, no printer ink. Um, and i my Bible keeps putting semicolons <laughs> in my notes um but as we think of chapter seven as a whole what's the what's the big picture message being presented over the course of this chapter? Yeah, that these kingdoms come and they go. And as you say, like, um, this kingdom and the, the emphasis, you know, throughout is on the eternality of God's kingdom. Like I, I think the central point, or if we were to, what were the central verses, I think chapter 17 and 18, uh, or verses 17 and 18 of chapter 7, present the summary of the chapter of, as a whole. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. So it's presenting this this contrast between these kingdoms of the earth and the kingdom that God is working to establish. Yeah, Bill. and that's one I want us to come back and spend some time on but for now as you say like you know it's uh, a a real kingdom that's being established by the son of man and he's different from these other kingdoms um, you know uh, in in many ways but we'll get to the specifics in a a little while. but as you say it's it's not just the promise of a kingdom but who specifically is going to inaugurate that kingdom and as you say this is jesus's um favorite way of referring to himself as the son of man so using this phrase from daniel to capture the essence of who he is um and to you know so when they hear the son of man they'll be thinking of this one who appeared before the ancient of days and was given um uh this kingdom and glory with it good what else would you say big picture um, overall chapter, what's what, what's the main message that comes across for you? Yeah, they they're being presented as as beast monsters. You know, they're they're terrifying. And they, for a, a season, do terrifying things. Like, you know, I mean, again, like, we'll get into the, some of the details, but it's, it's a pretty grisly picture that's being given of these beasts. And then the interpretation makes it clear that, that these are, are um, you know, devouring people, making war against the saints of God. And it, they're terrible, um, but they're going to be held to account. So that there is this day of divine judgment where these monsters who rage for a time um, receive justice and God wins the final victory. Um, uh, you know, this message that, you know, um, you know they represent um, destruction and disorder, but God is going to establish justice. and and order in his reign. Good. Yeah, absolutely. That there is the kingdom of this world that is actively fighting against the kingdom of god um and that's what it makes it um you know a, as we consider its its terror um uh it's not just that you know the image of them is is terrible it's how they've set themselves in opposition to god and to his saints like and again like uh daniel gives us a specific moment in his life when he received this vision so even though we've kind of left the narrative Daniel still places the vision in a particular moment and time and in the first year of Belshazzar you know and that's who we saw back in chapter five and as we talked about um, a couple weeks ago Daniel is kind of a forgotten guy at this point I mean we don't know what he was experiencing under the reign of Belshazzar but it doesn't seem like he had the same preeminence that he once had and you know Belshazzar, um, yeah, it <laughs> doesn't seem like the greatest person to uh, to 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 be under his authority. So so Daniel is is I, I think temporarily feeling that um, you know living in the kingdom of world of this world and under the thumb of the kingdom of this world, and he's being given this heaven sent reminder of a different kingdom and he's given this glorious picture of what that kingdom is like. Um and that in um you know that God alone is ultimate and that in the end his order will prevail. Um uh and thinking of going back to chapter five and Belshazzar, um Paul Cho came up to me afterwards and he's like, I got a great summary for what we talked about today and he's like there's only one God, and it's not you. <laughs> I love that 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 was the message that Daniel gave to Belshazzar, um, and that's the you know been a major theme of of the text, you know thus far, that these kingdoms of the world, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, uh, hold themselves up at, and even you know present themselves as being the ultimate disposers of things and and god put nebuchadnezzar in his place and and you know clearly demonstrated to him that there was a sovereign over him that had power to reveal things that had power to deliver people from a burning fire fiery furnace that had the power to take away his mind and then restore it to him um and so that's been uh, a major message here. That's continuing in this chapter. That, yeah, these these beasts rage, um, but they th- there's a fixed limit to it. Um, there's a time when the beast, uh, oppre- who oppress uh, the people of God, will be judged. Um, but the, like Daniel, uh, uh, and and I think this builds on what Tim said, in the midst of this beastly world, our challenge is to live our lives with our eyes firmly fixed on the heavenly throne room. Instead of being terrified by the beast or the powers of the earth, we must daily live remembering the one who will deliver the final and decisive judgment. That's the courtroom where we have to have our eyes fixed and focused. That's where power resides. Good, anything else we want to say big picture uh, before we start uh, delving into some of the details? All right, well, let's talk about uh, these four beasts. Um, let scroll down here. Um, so in his interpretation, oh, scrolled down too much. In his interpretation to Daniel, the angel clearly says the four beasts represent four kings. So... But as we think of the vision itself, um, we're we're given all this uh, imagery. Um, So what does the imagery in um, verses 1 through 8 tell us about um, these kingdoms or these four terrifying um, beasts? It's a very visual kind of picture. What does that picture convey? Okay, that there's great strength uh, in these creatures, good. Yeah, to, you know, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. Like, but it's, you know, heaven's kind of stirring them up. (laughs) Yeah, David. Yeah, and chaos is a great word. Like when, uh, and the sea is often used. as the symbol of chaos, so out of this chaos of humanity, and as you say, of of human sinfulness, um, are arising these kingdoms that are different from one another, but they all possess that that origin in in chaos and destructiveness that is born of human sinfulness. and again like um there there are lots and lots of differences in how people read these images and or not how they read them but how they apply them to different figures and people so some people actually um uh if you think back like we're in the the last chapter of that Aramaic section of the book so this is the last chapter you know it starts in Hebrew chapter 2 it shifts to Aramaic It continues through the end of this chapter in Aramaic, and then next week we shift back to Hebrew. Um, And there's, uh, if you think back, um, the first week I talked about, there's actually a structure to this with those chapters being in parallel with one another. So two is parallels with seven, three parallels with six, and four parallels with five. Like, they're very um, similar things. So if you think back to chapter two, that's where... Nebuchadnezzar had his terrifying dream of the statue that consisted of of four parts. Um, And uh, in that interpretation, we were given that that first kingdom, the golden head, Daniel clearly tells Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. So if these, and again, there are debates on this, so I'm not insisting that these four kingdoms are the exact same four kingdoms of chapter two, but if they are, then this first kingdom would be Babylon. Um, And so remember what happened to to Nebuchadnezzar. He literally (laughs) was rendered as a beast. Um, And it's God who removed the beastly aspects from him. And so this guy who's been going around on all fours is um, lifted back up on two legs. So some people read it as, specifically a reference to that um to to that experience of Nebuchadnezzar and that that detail indicates this is the particular kingdom of Babylon. So that's one way that people like that, you know, why is this one sort of given it the other ones have beastly attributes this one is a beast who suddenly transformed into a man and again literally that's we're just, discru- that's what was described two chapters earlier with Nebuchadnezzar, who was rendered a beast. Um, he was, all, and in a sense, he was always beastly. Um, the lion and the eagle were both symbols of of Babylon. So um, again, so a lot of people take those kind of details to indicate this first kingdom, at least, as the Babylonian one. Good. What else strikes you about these? four beast or four kingdoms Yeah, and it's like um, a good example of this um, is from Isaiah where where God tells Isaiah what he's doing and gives us a picture of how God, to punish Israel, has raised up the Assyrians to come and execute his judgment against his people. But then he also tells Isaiah, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to smack down Assyria for what they've done to my people. <laughs> You know so it's he's he's um unleashing these beasts for his purposes, but their their reign is limited, and they will be held accountable for all the the terror and chaos and violence they unleash on the people of God, um, uh, like mhm. Yeah, we're being given, and again, this is part of, um, like, if we were to look at things that set, um, this is often labeled apocalypse or apocalyptic prophecy, different from normal prophecy. And one of the things that apocalyptic prophecy often involves is this viewpoint of heavenly places and not just getting, like, all prophecy is giving God's perspective on human events, but this is giving a glimpse <laughs> um you know an actual kind of behind the scenes picture of how god is ruling the earth like and it's it's almost um as we said like uh earlier it's easy for daniel in the midst of being in babylon and being under the foot of the kingdom of this world to forget that there is a reality behind this world and it's real um and you can see it um and there are um real um figures that inhabit it and that's the world that that is um where reality is ultimately disposed not by these kings and not like a schmuck like belshazzar um you know who you know Thinks he can toast with the things from God's temple, but God can snuff out his his life that very night. Like he he's been measured and found wanting. And at the center of this chapter is God on His throne of judgment. Like He's calling court before Him in verse ten. Um, a stream of fire issued at, came out from before Him, and uh, again this picture: thousand, thousand served Him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. So, you know, it's th- this picture of God surrounded by, and like thousand, like this is a way, like it's a people without number. Like it's numerless <laughs> Like you can't even begin to like calculate and do in your ha- head. It's 10,000 times 10,000. Like it's this, um and that kingdom um is where the judge sits enthroned and he holds court and he's going to hold these beasts uh to account so um you know just to some of the other details like you know this the the bear like it's it seems to be misshapen it's raised up on one side so it's kind of a hunchback bear maybe um but in its mouth you know again it's its ruthlessness it already has ribs in its mouth as if it's devouring something and it's called to rise and devour more um and then this this third beast a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back so um like a leopard itself is fast and now it's a winged leopard so it's super fast <laughs> um and it has four heads which render it uh, you know kind of able to see and Four directions at once, kind of making so it's swift and can see everything, so that's pretty terrifying. Um what about this fourth beast? <laughs> no one wants to tackle this one? <laughs> It's very different from the others. And it, we're not told like w like, the other ones were given kind of, you know, we're given a lion and we w- know what a lion is, even though we haven't seen a lion with eagle's wings. Um, you know, we know what a bear is. Um, we know what a leopard is. It's maybe not a four headed leopard, but like, you know, we, we get the idea. This one it's it's it focuses more on um the the terrifying aspect of it. Um, and and then uh, you know emphasizing that this beast has horns and has 10 of them. And again, in symbolic language, horn is uh, symbolizes strength. Horn symbolizes power. So as the you know he's describing this is a this fourth beast is terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong. It's got great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Um, and it's different in that it, it has this, this power that it seems to extend maybe over a longer period of time because with the interpretation we're specifically told that each of these horns represents a particular king. So this is an exceedingly strong, long lasting kingdom. Um, seems to be the picture we're given, and exceedingly terrifying, um, uh, seems to be the emphasis on this fourth beast. All right, well, let's turn to, um, because I, I'm convinced we, we often get dragged into trying to figure out who the four beasts are when the point is to, to as Bill said, to, to put us um, in the throne room, um, to put us in the presence of God, um, because that's who, um, that's who Daniel wants us to to see, and whose identity we we want to know. Like, unlike in chapter two, which gave us some clues about identity, these we're not given specific clues about who these, you know, what might be the literal uh, fulfillment of these kingdoms. But we are given the details, um, as Dill said earlier, to help us identify the king. Um, we're given details um, that help us um, see Christ as this Son of Man. Um, but before we get to the Son of Man, let's talk a little bit about the Ancient of Days. So, um, not often are we given a physical representation of, of God, um, but this time we we are. So again, I don't think we we don't do like the Mormons and and you know, they would take something like this and say, so God is literally an old man with white hair and has a physical body, and that's wrong. Um, so uh, we still take the picture as as being symbolic. Um, um, but so what do these images and symbols of this picture of, of the ancient of days tell us about who God is and what God does? Yeah, Tim. And I love like the like this is, uh, you know, you know, sometimes those people do their, you know, soup up their cars or like flames come out, you know, from the muffler and things like fires coming out from everything like under this one, like a stream of fire is issuing out before him. his his throne was fiery flames. It's wheels were burning fire. And he himself, as you say, like white is is being used as this picture of purity. Um, so he's pure and uh and some people say um the emphasis on the whiteness of his hair is is wisdom um you know so it it continues that idea of purity but also emphasizing um you know equating age with with wisdom which the bible often does and that's why you should listen to your elders um you know the the idea of of he is pure he is wise and and he is a consuming fire. Yeah that, yeah, that he... Yeah, that fire is pouring forth from him. But, you know, uh, he, he's, you know, in the midst of fire, like, you know, my... How, how many times have I come in and like from grilling something and I'm like oh I've got soot on my shirt or you know like we you know it's it, I, I I've learned not to wear a white shirt when I'm grilling like because <laughs> it's not gonna stay white. Um, but in the midst of this pouring forth fire, he's untouched by it. He remains completely pure. There is nothing in him. I mean, if the fire of judgments pouring forth there's nothing um in him that the fire can or would touch because he himself in the midst is 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 already completely pure and so this purifying fire coming forth from him to judge and to consume um the kingdoms of this world uh you know leaves him unstained yeah david That his presence isn't lo- local, <laughs> um, you know. His his presence is is everywhere, um, and a- again, like for for Daniel, it's it's easy for him to think ah, I'm trapped in this kingdom, and and in the midst of that, the kingdom of this world, he's being shown a judge who gets around, <laughs> a judge whose throne of judgment uh as you say david is is mobile it and uh, this is literally uh you know a hot rod sorry, I had to go there um fire you know oh, sorry it was a bad joke um so uh it's it's um you know it's a mobile throne and it's 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 not just any throne it's a throne of judgment, like you know the court sat in in judgment the books were opened and soon as um you know you know in the midst of this like like you know you have this scene like in uh so in verse 8 this tiny little horn that has the eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things um great there it, boastful would probably be a better translation um it, you know it great has that sense like it's you know boasting great things and in the midst of this horn that was speaking all its great boastful things, uh, it's <laughs> boom. As um, soon as the books are opened, um, the horn speaking and the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Like um, it's kind of like, you know, when the judgment uh, takes place and the books are opened, it's instant judgment upon the kingdom of this world um it's like uh and the princess of pride where he's boasting about you know his great powers of mind thinking that he's uh, he's he's won this battle of wits and never go up against the sicilian when death is on the line ha 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 Boom. <laughs> you know it dies instantly with the boast still like floating out in the air and it's it's that kind of picture of when the divine judgment comes, it comes um swiftly and cuts off um the boasting of of earthly kings, yeah, Dave um, I think so, um because as we see the rest of the the, um, the chapter, notice that um, it's not just the son of man who's been given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, um, but verse 18, the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Um, uh, verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high so maybe thrones there is plural conveying this sense that we will reign in heaven with Christ like you know he 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 reigns but you know he he gives us you know those crowns of glory like we're described so this idea that um you know we're we're not Simply subjects of God, but, you know, by our union with Christ, part of his glory transfers to us. Maybe maybe, that, that might be what's getting there. Yeah, that there is one throne that's preeminent above the others, um, and that's the one that's the focus. Um, but uh, but I do think like uh, you know as you say everything else is subordinate to that to that one. That's the one that conveys glory. That's the one that conveys power and authority. Um, that's the one um, that's being given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Like. It's very clear that authority, sovereignty, rest, judgment rests in that one single throne. And everybody else are there in thrones, but they're spectators to the central figure here. All right, uh, let's talk some about um, the Son of Man. So, and as Bill uh, said in the beginning, um, this is how Jesus uh, likes to refer to himself in the Gospels. So um, what do we learn about the son of man from Daniel's vision? And how does this help us to understand why Jesus so frequently used the phrase to describe himself? Yeah, Mike. He, he in that like a son of man um, is very similar to, I'm, I'm not trusting, I have it memorized in theory, but I'm not trusting my memory. So turning to uh, Philippians chapter 2, um, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count quality to God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, you know, Paul presents this picture of Jesus's, um, the the phrase that people usually use, his humiliation, his humbling of himself and the act, the, the subject of all those verbs is Jesus. Jesus is doing this. He's humbling himself. He's taking on the likeness of man. He is the one taking on the form of a servant. He's the one who's giving himself um, uh, obediently to death, even death on a cross. And then in chapter, or verse 9 of chapter 2 of Philippians, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I do think, yeah, that's, this is a good picture of of Jesus, mission accomplished Jesus, like Jesus the one who um, has taken on human flesh to fulfill this um, obey and to fulfill this mission to redeem people by his his death and um not to win the kingdom but to to receive the kingdom that God's given him. Like God gives it freely. He 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 humbles himself um and then receives. And so to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So um yes yeah, so I think you're you're right Mike as we think about What's the purpose of the son of man? The purpose of the son of man is to come, humble himself, um humble himself even to the point of death on a cross and then to triumph. Um you know, at, at that moment it's it you know, the world, the kingdom of the world thinks it's won. Um you know, uh it's the way C.S. Lewis depicts the slaying of Aslan, like all those nasty little creatures, at that moment are all celebrating. They think they've won, and actually no, <laughs> um, they think they've triumphed. They're boastful, um, and and actually that's just the 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 act that unleashes this kingdom that will bring judgment and destruction upon the kingdom of the world. No, I think that's a great way to think about it. And to think about, like, the difference. I mean, you know, to think about the kingdoms of the world, um, as, as David said earlier, like, the kingdoms of this world are born in, in, in violence and um, self-aggrandizement and chaos. Like, the chaos of human sinfulness present, um, yeah, um, is what creates, um, you know, human kingdoms. Um whereas this is a kingdom that's being, you know, a, a very different kind of kingdom being established. That's not being born of human sinfulness, but is being born of um deep sacrifice um that is uh is a very different kind of inauguration of the kingdom, as you say. And the the emphasis here is on dominion and not just dominion but but glory um you know so the son of man is is being you know what makes this kingdom different because it's being given some of the attributes of of god like um, as the son of man as the son of man is being presented here has is both human traits as well as divine traits like you know he's he's coming um with the clouds of heaven, and that's how you know God is depicted in the Old Testament. God's the one who rides um rides the clouds God's the one who comes in clouds, so it's he he's coming with this um divinity he's he's like or he's like a son of man, but he's also coming with the signs of divine authority with him so Um, The imagery that's being used here describes both a a person and God. And again, why is this such a good picture of who Jesus is um, and why he might use this phrase of himself? Because that's the message. Like, yes, I'm man, but yes, I'm also God. Um, So two natures, one person. (laughs) And the words like, you know, uh, alarmed, color of his face changes. Like, uh, yeah, it is this um, great um, parallel to how, and again, as you think about chapter 2 and chapter 7 being in parallel with one another, chapter 2, it's Nebuchadnezzar who's alarmed, and Daniel comes with this, you know, Daniel emphasizes, like, I'm giving an interpretation, but God gave it to me, so Daniel always, like, you know steps back from having being the source of the interpretation but he's being presented before the court as the interpreter and here he he's the one who's like <laughs> what what's going on um and uh and again you know this is um this is very characteristic of apocalyptic prophecy that um that there is being presented another interpreter or, or some kind of guide for the vision that's speaking to like here Daniel to think in John or John in Revelation, like, you know, turning like to the person next to him, like, who are these people? Like, you know, what's going on? Um and that's that that's often the way it is. But here in Daniel, I think you're right, what a contrast or um it flips the the normal script where Daniel's the interpreter for scared kings and now Daniel is the anxious one and getting this this heavenly interpretation. Um and the interpretation, you know, it 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 doesn't answer necessarily answer Daniel's questions, like, you know, um I I you can't really say that the um you know, then I desire to know the truth of the beast. Um you know, he's t- he's told there are four kingdoms, but it doesn't tell us. He doesn't say, oh, this, you know, fourth beast is this person here. Again, the focus is, again, there's a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth. It shall trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. And then we get, like, what really identifies this final um, kingdom. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall think to change the times and the law. So this, you know, what sets this fourth kingdom apart? What sets it apart is it's the most blasphemous. You know, it's the one that openly speaks against the most high. It's the one and that, that phrase you know wear out the saints. Like, you know, it you know over and over again going after the saints. And why who are these saints? They're the holy ones of the most high, the the servants of the most high. And shall think to change the times and the law, this idea that um taking on itself Again, these kind of supernatural attributes of being able to, you know, shape time to to shape law ultimately, you know, setting itself in opposition to God, and and this is why, you know, as Tim said, like this two kingdoms idea, like this epitomizes the kingdom of this world that sets itself in open blasphemous opposition to God and goes after with ruthless intent the people of God, setting itself up as the ultimate authority and arbiter on this earth. But, so, you know, you could see how this would be frightening and discouraging to Daniel. But the point, uh, the main point of the, you know, his, his heavenly interpreter is that, You know, his time's limited. It's got a fixed, appointed time to it. The court shall sit in judgment. His dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. To the end there means to the uttermost. Um, So, yes, their, their kingdom, the kingdom of this world, sets itself in opposition to God most high, blasphemes the God most high, attacks the people of God, but it's for a limited time. Um, And often people, this time, times, and a half a time, like they want to make it like, oh, that's three and a half, or it's it's more exponential. So, you know, so think of it if you're, like, you don't have to know what the period is. Is it weeks? Is it days? Is it months? Is it years? Is it decades? Is it centuries? Like, you don't have to know specifically what the time is, length of it. But think of it as like if you're graphing X. So you've got one a time times two. And you think, like if you're looking at the growth curve, all right, what would be the next one? Four. One, two, four. But no, it's so it looks like, you know, and from the, the kingdom of this world perspective, it's going to keep going on and on and on and expanding and its power and continue. And that's why that that last one, half a time, you know, nope, in the middle of its growth curve, (laughs) it gets cut short. Like, its time is limited and set and gets cut off um, by God in the midst of what it thinks is its triumphal reign. And like we saw earlier, in the very midst of its boasting, um, you know, the sound of all these great boasting words or Still going on, and that's the moment the beast is killed and destroyed and 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 given over to be burned with fire. Um, its dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, to the uttermost. And what replaces it, or what takes its place, is you know this everlasting kingdom. Um, you know, a kingdom that will be given to um, the people of the saints of the most high, their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. A kingdom that consists of all peoples, nations, and languages. So again, different from the kingdoms of this world that sets people against each other, um, that, that um, emphasizes the divisions between people. This is a kingdom that unifies all the people under the king. So it's a great picture of the establishment of God's kingdom through the person and work of Jesus Christ that leads to this moment of divine judgment against the kingdoms of this world that are set in opposition to God's anointed. All right, well, we're at time, so let me uh, close this in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for our prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. That he himself came, uh, the word made flesh, and spoke truth to us concerning himself and concerning the coming of your kingdom. That he, um, as priest, uh, made sacrifice of himself, giving a, a perfect um, propitiation for the sins of his people that he uh, made a once and for all sacrifice to cover sin for eternity, to pay that eternal debt of sin that we ourselves could not uh, hope to cover, but that he covered it, uh, paid for that sin with his blood, and then covered us with the purity and whiteness of his priestly robes, and that uh, he's also king, that he is the one who has all power and authority and glory and that the kingdoms of this world that set themselves in opposition to you and to your kingdom are but for a moment. Um, They have a time, they have a, a season, but their days are numbered where your days are not. Their kingdom has a limit where yours does not. It's not bounded by time. It's not bounded by earthly borders, but it is an eternal and everlasting kingdom. And so we uh, come this day to worship our risen King, Jesus Christ, and even to long for uh, the picture that Daniel gives us here um, with the martyrs uh, under the throne of God, with them saying, um, come, O Christ, come quickly, come soon. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.